from Adelaide, South Australia, the greatest city in the world. It's another Bloody Carlton podcast with Lee Forrest. We are the Navy Blues. We are the old dark Navy Blues. Well, hi, folks, and welcome to another episode of the podcast. For those who are listening for the first time, maybe because of who's on this particular episode, welcome. Please feel free to go back, listen to old episodes. I'm sure you'll enjoy the likes of Cuda, Campo, Mill, Mark McClure, just to name a few. And for those of you who listen often, again, thank you for that. Apologies for the delay. I got really sick with COVID, to be honest, and I've been out of action for three weeks. So it did give me plenty of time to think about a wish list for the podcast. And so I think you'll love today's guests, Excitement Machine, Andrew Walker, and the very memorable Helen D'Amico, famous for her part in the 1982 Grand Final, amazingly, 40 years ago. Oh, female streaker! <laughs> Goodness me! Now, before we hear from Andrew, I, like so many, I love the baggers for flaggers humour. But let's just keep it at that. People are getting way too carried away. And I understand it's mostly non-Carlton supporters who want to pump us up and knock us down. And as we saw with the footy gods, they have a way of dealing with that. We saw the whack from the Gold Coast Suns. I wasn't too concerned about that game. I kind of think it was a bit like that song. At least I hope that is the case. We'll find out. Easter weekend, Port Adelaide. So my son and I were there last year at the Adelaide Oval when Port Adelaide piled on the last 14 goals or so. Copped a little bit in the stands that day. So we owe them. Fingers crossed we can get the job done. Let's get to the podcast. First up, the boy from Achuca and what a star he was, 1AW. Here goes Walker. Look, look at Yaron through the middle. He wanted Jeff to peel off and then he said, you Shepard, I'll go. I'm an athlete as well. I think he's taken four bounces from 50 to the open square. One of the goals of the year from Walker running off halfback. Unbelievable stuff. Oh, that's what he's been so good at this year, Andrew Walker. It's a great move getting him to half back. Well, my first guest on the podcast today played 202 games for the Carlton Footy Club, kicked 139 goals, was our leading goal kicker, is a life member, and he is the man who was robbed of the mark of the year back in 2011. Andrew Walker, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. It's always a pleasure to chat to you. Andrew, I haven't got over it. It's 2011. I don't know. It's not just the best mark of that year, Andrew. I actually think it's the best mark of all time. Well, I appreciate that. I actually thought so myself. So <laughs> I'm allowed to say that. No, I just didn't. Um, yeah, I was, I was uh, definitely in the right spot at the right time, I can tell you right now. And, um, you know, it seems like an eternity ago. It popped up on my Facebook the other day and it, it stated that it was 10 years ago. So that was um, a bit of a shock to the system to realise how old you're getting. Does it bother you that you didn't win? Because it annoys me. A decade on, it still annoys me that it doesn't get as much credit as it should have. And and indeed, when we look at the great marks in the history of the game, it's right at the very top. No, I appreciate that. No, look, I, to be honest, it's a... It, and everyone says this, but it is a personal accolade, the, um, I guess the goals of the year and the mark of the year. And I was nominated for a few of them in my, in my uh, 12-year career. And um, that one certainly was the one that I thought I'll, I'll maybe a chance to, uh, to potentially take home mark of the year. But I um, obviously missed out on the official mark of the year. But I, that year I won the People's Choice, um, which yep. uh, you know I think that weighs a little bit more heavily with me. I think that um, 
the people that come to the game and watch it actually gave me the vote versus a panel of three or four ex-footballers. So, um, yeah, I was uh, I was thrilled to win the People's Choice. Tell me you've got a massive blow-up somewhere in the man cave or it's the screensaver <laughs> on your phone or on your kids' computers. <laughs> oh, I'm gonna, I've actually got to tell you a bit of a story about that. I um, just recently purchased a work iPad and um, I've got two young boys and a little girl, but my two young boys are, are footy mad and... Um, yeah, my, my middle boy, Ali, uh, grabbed my iPad and I didn't know he'd done it, but yep. I'd gone to a work meeting and I was sitting in a boardroom with, with other people and I've turned the screen on. Sure enough, he's put the mark as my screensaver and it's popped up on the big right. screen and um, people must have been thinking, geez, this bloke thinks pretty highly of himself. He's got a photo of his mark as his screensaver. Oh, no. As you should. <laughs> that is so, so, it's no, so it's iconic, though. As I think the commentary is iconic too, Andrew, when you think. Like, I can run out the Tim Lane lines, the quarters, Robert Walls is unbelievable. Like, it's so – if you're ever feeling down as a Carlton supporter and you've had a bad week, you just type that into YouTube and watch it again from, you know, Mitch Robinson coming off the wing looking for Eddie and there you just stand on Jake Carlisle's head. It's just glorious. Yeah, I think um, the funniest part about that – that whole thing is Brett Ratton's um, reaction on yeah. the bench. So the, he he looks in shock, but I'm pretty sure in his own head he was about to he was about to spray me because at three quarter time he'd actually he wanted me to stop flying. I'd earlier in the game I think I'd gone up a few times and you know it was obviously a natural thing for me to jump at the footy, but um he just was at three quarter time he was uh, pretty demonstrative with his with his body language when he told me to stay down and wanted me to be uh, more useful at ground level. And I think <laughs> five or ten minutes into the quarter and I've launched myself and took it. And oh. I think there was just about to be a spray or then there was a look of surprise and shock. So I, I always have a bit of a chuckle at Rats's, um, you know, Rats's reaction. But it's, you know, the headband you were wearing at the time too with the bandage. Graham Corns here in Adelaide and I, we fight about it all the time. And he said, but you took it on the chest. And I said, because he was so high, Mitch Robinson can't kick it any higher than that. He had to take it on the chest. Do you ever cross paths with Jake Carlisle? I often wonder if it's a bit like the Jerker Jenkins, Alex Jezelenko situation. Of, I mean, he's forever posted too, Jake Carlisle. Uh, it's very funny. He um, Obviously, I'm from Echuca, Miami, and... Um, Jakey Carlisle's got a cabin at one of the caravan parks. I think it's Marul Caravan Park in Moama. Um, and he was still doing a lot of his running at the moment, football ground. And I also used to go over there and have a bit of a run around. And yeah, sure enough, one day recently, I think it was late last year or early, or maybe the year before, uh, I, could no- I noticed this, this big, tall, 200 centimetre <laughs> fella uh, lumbering around the, uh, the Moama football ground. So I snuck up. Next to him and said a quick good day, and he said, "Geez, I can't escape you, can I?" So, um, yeah, yeah, I've seen Jakey since, and um, yeah, he, uh, yeah, he. Uh, straight after it happened, I remember being in the Gulf Square with him. He said, "Oh, you've just made me famous for something, for something, Wolf." So, appreciate it. That is so great. I know, and it's funny. I know Jeremy Howe's been talking about his milestone game this week, and it's not just the feature of your game. Yes, it was the highlight. I mean, you were such an all-rounder player, and we'll get to that, but it is such a great aspect of your game. The current day Blues, too, it looks like that's starting to come back a little bit, Andrew, with Harry Mackay takes a great mark. Charlie's a great contestant mark. Jack flies for them. Tom DeConning, if he holds on to a couple, he, he'll take, you know, great marks. Uh, look, I think um, what we're noticing with the Blues, and I'm, and I'm, I'm the most excited Blues supporter of all time, and yes, I'm an ex-player, but you know, I take my boys every week and, you know, we, we watch it in great depth. And I think what's really noticeable 
Um, I'm a coach myself in the DVFL and in, in country footy coaching the Echuca Bombers. And um, I, when I got back there, I remember talking to the boys about, you know, what we, how we wanted to set up defensively. But one thing I always wanted to do if I ever coached was never um, coach out of people, their X factor and their own personal flair. And I reckon um, what Vossi's done as a coach is really come in there and wants them to play with personality. And we're finally seeing players, you know, like you're even talking Zach Williams and Jack Martin and these guys actually, you know, selling a bit of candy and running off half back and, you know, you just spoke about those big boys taking hangers. Well, it's like they're being, the shackles are off and the boys are now allowed to play with that freedom and that personality that we all want to see. Yep. Um, and for me as a supporter, it just it makes me want to go to the football. It makes me want to see these guys, um, you know, trying to take the hanger of the year or wanting to t- kick a goal and then celebrate it. You know, I really, I'm really, really enjoying that part of our, our new makeup of the Carlton Football Club. Yeah, it's so great. Use your weapons, isn't it? Let's talk about you, your career. You were the priority pick in 2003. You're our only pick of 2002 and 03 because of those salary cap breaches. Did that put extra pressure on you knowing that you were it for that period? <laughs> yeah, oh, mate, I was a very naive um, Achuka boy. And, you know, I'd obviously come down to watch AFL footy as a young fella. And, um, you know, I probably didn't realise the significance of going to such a powerful club like Carlton um, as a priority pick. And, and like you said, with the salary cap breaches prior to that, um, you know, I went there with expectation. And, and I think I initially delivered in a, a couple of my first early games. But then I think there was a fair bit of pressure that, it started to mount on me, and I think um, you know my my makeup is you know throw a challenge at me, and I'm going to try and hit it face on. And I remember reading that scrutiny, and it really got me down for a couple of years there. And um, you know I had to try and reinvent myself. You know as I got drafted as an on baller, and then you know I got trialed at half back, half four, and it was really hard to find a spot. And it was through some really great conversation back then with Dennis Pagan. Um, leading into the 2006 season, um, him and I got chatting and I just said that I wanted to, I, I sort of needed to do some sort of apprenticeship in the AFL again, like I got drafted as, you know, going number two, but mm. I'd need to learn a lot. So we came up with a bit of a plan that didn't matter where the best player for the opposition was, whether they were full forward, half forward flanker, um, on baller, whatever it might be, um, Pagan was going to, placed me on them to go one-on-one and it wasn't tagging and he made that very clear that I'm going to send you to the best player but it's a one-on-one contest but just remember that that player will take you to the football every single time and sure enough that year was probably my I guess the beginning of Andrew Walker I um, finished I think I did just squeeze into the top five for the club in the BNF and played on the likes of Shane Crawford, Robert Harvey, Brent Harvey, Sean Burgoyne and had since on Jonathan Brown and all these big monsters, you know, coming out of full forward. And it was the best apprenticeship I could have ever had. And I think um, under Pagan, I played, played a possible 75 out of 80 games wow. when I probably didn't deserve a few games. So I always, um, you know, people say, you know, who, you know, when you look back in your career, who do you owe things to? And I, and straight away my mind goes straight to Dennis Pagan for giving me, you know, those 75 out of 80 games to, 
let me sink my teeth into AFL footy. I'd love to get onto the coaches if we can in a little bit. So, as you say, like through 04 and 05, obviously some difficulties. If we can wind back just one second, you also get the pressure of the number one jersey, which <laughs> is such a story jumper in the history of this footy club. You get on, and I saw this at round one this year, Andrew, when the young blokes came through and everyone was talking about the best debuts they'd seen. I went back and had a look at your debut too. 26 disposals. You almost took the mark of the year. You got Brownlow votes. Can you remember that? I mean, you must look back fondly too. While you had difficulties after that for a little period, gee whiz, you're just <laughs> straight out of the gate. Yeah, I was a really young. I was 17, so my birthday was in 13 days from that game. Um, I remember being out there playing on emotion. I'd lost my grandfather four days before that game, who was probably my biggest supporter, my my mum's uh, dad. And yeah, I just remember running out there. I'd had a really interrupted week leading up to the game. I was staying in a hotel across the road and I didn't get back from Machuca from a funeral late on, you know, the day before. And you know, I just, I remember getting about 30 tickets through Shane O'Sullivan to have um, all my family that had, uh, who had been at the funeral and brought them all down to the game. And I just remember going out there going, right, I need to give this one a red hot shot. Knowing all my family are there, it's been an emotional week. Mm. Um, and going out there and just playing literally purely on emotion and, and trying to do something special for my uh, my great uh, sorry for my grandfather who was you know my biggest supporter. Yeah, that's such an amazing story. Then, as we mentioned, I mean, 04 and 05, as many players do, you know, you started in a blaze of glory, have some difficulties. You then work your way back, though, and you were so great for the Carlton Footy Club. You had so many weapons, Andrew. That was, I think, with the coaches as a fan watching. Where do we play Andrew Walker? Because you're fast. You had an amazing leap. You were great with ball in hand. You had such a great leg. Where do you think you played your best footy? Well, probably the spot I didn't ever play is yeah, you know, I've gone back and yeah, you know, I'm the coach of the Atuka Footy Club and all my junior football. I actually played as a ruck rover or, you know, on ball and chasing the footy around. I think that was probably my best spot. But um, you know, where I was probably most damaging, whilst I did have a great year up forward when we were lacking forwards and kicked the fifty odd goals that year, um, I like to be able to just run dead straight at the footy and mm. and the halfback flank really allowed me to do that. I was able to read read the ball quite well off you know opposition boot and. Um, really enjoyed the competitiveness of going, you know, one-on-one with the best forwards in the league, but then also using um, a couple of my weapons, which uh, were my, I guess, my athleticism and my uh, aerobic capacity to really blow up the opposition forward. So um, I really, yeah, half-back half, half flank was certainly, yep. you know, one of my more favourite positions and, and uh, had a great year in 11-12, uh, I think it was, 12 or 13, where I played alongside the amazing Cade Simpson, and um, yeah, yeah. Just, we just ran off all day and had a had a great year. You had an incredible year in 2011 too. You played every game, you kicked over 50 goals, and you took that mark. So, <laughs> I mean, that's you know when you look back, there are just highlights. With that comes injuries, like all players suffer yep. too. I mean, you played over 200 games, but and and you'd be no doubt proud of everything you're able to achieve. But like so many too, the shoulder gave you grief, didn't it? And the knee throughout the career. Yeah, the shoulder was an interesting one. Like I've had absolutely zero dramas with it um, post sort of 2010, so 12 years without an incident. But there was probably three years there where it was so bad that actually to be like to talk about it, um, you know, openly now, the last surgeon I had with Greg Hoy was the last chance. And that was in 2010. And I went on after that to play, you know, 140 extra games. and. 
I just remember him saying it to me, saying we're going to having a bone latage operation, which is you know sort of a bit of a first of its kind for AFL footballers at that stage. Rugby league players were having it to you know stop the shoulder from dislocating when when tackling. Um, I'd, I'd had four previous surgeries for that, where, which had all been unsuccessful and continued to pop out, and uh, heaps of labrum damage in the cartilage. And he gave me this last last chance. Um, I guess groundbreaking surgery for the AFL, and I never ever had a shoulder injury again. So, how different it could have been, yeah. really? I could, could have been it and done by, you know, before that 2011 season. You're a human highlight reel, also proud Indigenous heritage. I wonder this now when we look and hear stories of, you know, past players. Did the club do enough during your time? Was the league doing enough? Where do you think we're at now with the young Indigenous boys in the league? Oh, I definitely weren't. It, it's as simple as that. Like, it's um, come a long way, and I'm very proud to have been a part of some of Carlton's Indigenous history and, and you know, the reason for change. Um, I, I remember very clearly um, presenting to the football club that I'd like to do, um, you know, I'd like to do an Indigenous round for the footy club, and um, it was something that I was really, you know, really staunch and making sure that we started to recognise the great Indigenous players that played for the club. And, um, you know, we, we then created the first ever Carlton Football Club Reconciliation Action Plan, which I was a big part of. And looking back on it now, that was probably the first um, real change that we needed to, you know, start to recognise and understand um, what Indigenous players have done for for the league. But not only that, really understand Aboriginal culture from across Australia and not hide under a blanket about our, our dark history. Mm. So I think now we're starting to really recognise that. There's some great programs in place and, um, you know, seeing the rec- recognition that the AFL vehicle is such a powerful one. I think they're certainly leading the way across Australia in terms of recognition for Aboriginal people. And as a fan looking in from the outside, Andrew, it appears as though we seem to be one of the leaders too. You see on all the socials, like the, the club really embraces the Indigenous culture. I think we do it really well. Yeah, which is amazing to think that, you know, it's sort of, um, if you look at our dark history and probably don't want to go into it too much, but, you know, the likes of Sir Doug Nichols, um, you know, lying on a massage bench at the Carlton Football Club and no no, uh, no Carlton people wanted to touch his legs because they were black. So mm-hmm. Like that, you know, to think that there was that disgusting past and, you know, um, even talking to Sid Jackson about some of the racial... Um, Vilification that he felt in his in his time, but then even even talking to Eddie Best and Chris Sharon and Jeffy Garlett, you know the the musketeers, yeah. like the amount of the amount of criticism and racial abuse that those boys copped, and you know, like I, I can clearly remember so much of it in the early two thousands, from two thousand four all the way through. It's probably about two thousand thirteen or fourteen when some major things happened in the AFL around Aboriginal players. But in that time there, there was some major major. Uh, vilification going on and yep. it was yeah, you know, it was disgusting but very hard to make change when there was no programming really at that stage going on in the AFL. So no, it's a dark, dark place uh, back in the time in terms of racial vilification but to see some of the programming, we're doing such a great job in the AFL now. I spoke to Jeffy on the podcast. I mean, a more lovable player too. It, there is a great sadness with me though, Andrew, when I think of Chris Yaron and the talent that we saw from Chris Yaron and hopefully that I don't know as a past player or as a friend you know like you just hope he can rebuild his life Oh absolutely <laughs> and seeing you know what happened with Chris um, post his, his career used to really sad me as well and 
I've just actually reconnected with him, um, you know, on, on social media. And, you know, like he, that face, Christian's face, when you look at him, there was just a pure love for his teammates. And he was just a, you know, had this, had this massive infectious smile and just one of the greatest players I've ever played with. And, mm. I've, and a lot of Carlton players say that. Chris Judd says this and, you know, if Chris Yaron hadn't got it together, um, he would have been one of the all-time greats of the AFL. So, um, you know, I just hope that he's doing well. And, um, you know, I'm going to re- really try and reach out and reconnect now that we've uh, finally reconnected after all that year. I know I watch everything, Andrew, with blue and white glasses, but I saw the Shea Bolton goal on the weekend and I'm like, Chris Yaron did that 10 years ago. He actually got past two others too. Same pocket, left hand. Uh, it was an incredible goal. Hey, before we let you go, thank you again so much for your time. I, I can't express how uh, appreciative I am. Can we do a quick line or two, a word association with the coaches? You mentioned Dennis Pagan. Give us a line on Dennis Pagan. Um, Dennis Pagan, um, hard as a cat's head and brutally, brutally honest, but exactly what I needed as a, uh, as a young 17-year-old. One of my favourite coaches of all time. Brett Ratton. Uh, the bloke that completely reinvented Andrew Walker. Um, I was on the cusp of heading over to Adelaide in a trade and he rang me while I was in Bali and said, we're going to recreate you as a forward. And i become really, really great mates with Brett Ratton post that conversation. Mick Malthouse. Um, another bloke that completely changed my game from a half-forward flanker to a half-back flanker and had uh, a runner-up best in the first year. Um, amazing with his playing group. Um, but unfortunately with Mick, um, I think uh, the game sort of went past him from a coaching sense, um, and I think he was probably done before the season was out. And Brendan Bolton, you would have had him just at the end? Uh, he tried to, it was a, he was a real teacher, um, a great, great guy, um, and wanted us all to be students of the game, um, but that just doesn't work for everyone, probably including myself, unfortunately. You got three kids. You got three boys and a daughter. Are they star athletes like the old man? Are they potential father sons or father daughters? I do know, stalking your socials, that maybe basketball is a little stronger than footy with some of them. <laughs> well, you've called me while we're doing this podcast while I'm up at the Gold Coast. My son's playing in the Indigenous Basketball Australia Nationals this weekend in the under 14 where he's running point guard for Victoria Country and Metropolitan combined um, and trying to go for a junior NBA scholarship. So he's, uh, he's going pretty well. Wow. So he's and more... they're pa- both gun little footballers. So he's more Paddy Mills than Paddy Cripps, or do you think you can get into footy or just steer down the basketball path for now? No, they're both um, gun footballers. So Cody's uh, trialled for the under-12. Uh, that's my oldest. So he's already trialled once before for the under-12 Victorian side. Yep. Uh, he's got his top age under 14s this year, and Arlie's an inside mid, and he's a little ball. Oh, do you know how exciting that is for Carlton fans <laughs> to hear that? Oh, my Lord. Hey, Andrew, thank you so much for your time. Thanks for your service to the footy club. As I mentioned, one of the most exciting players we've ever seen play the game, let alone at our club, and forever will be remembered as not only, I think, the greatest mark in the history of VFL, AFL football, but one of the great injustices robbed... <laughs> by the actual committee, but the fans know, Andrew, so you can you can take that to the grave. You know that you've taken the best mark of all time. All the very best. Thanks so much again for your time. Not a worry, mate. Thanks for having me. All the best. Andrew Walker, 1AW, as affectionately termed by Rex Hunt, the greatest mark in the history of Australian rules football, Carlton star, 
my guest. And the ricochets with Robinson. And where's Eddie? Walker's got the sit here. Oh, what a screamer. Everyone's up with that one. Unbelievable. Oh, just That has to be the best for the year, doesn't it, Tim? The crowd is stunned. I reckon Essendon supporters are cheering this. Oh, that's the best for the year by a mile. That was very, very high into the black sky. So 1982 was a very memorable year. 40 years ago this year, Carlton won their second consecutive premiership. It was their third in four years. It was the club's 14th premiership. And there were 107,500 fans at the MCG. We also happened to witness the most famous streaker in the history of Australian sport. You remember the moment. You remember the name. She's on the podcast. Helen D'Amico. Lovely to speak to you, Helen. Hi, how are you going? I'm very well. I remember the moment. I was six years of age. Let's walk it back from your perspective. How did this all come about? You were 17 at the time, Helen. Yes. Yes, I was. What made you want to streak on the MCG in front of over 100,000 people? Well, well, now that it's gotten on age-wise, I can um, I can talk about it a little bit more. Honestly, it was actually a bit of a setup, So it was actually a publicity stunt. Okay. So when I got there and they said, uh, because I was working in a nightclub and they had said, would you like to go and, and streak a football match? And as far as I was quite young, 17, so I just assumed it was a football match that my brothers used to play. Yep. So when I got there and saw the crowd, it was a little bit um, a little bit more popular than I thought. They didn't mention to me that it was the first young worldwide televised. <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah, when I got there, it was a little bit of a shock. And I had a jacket, a pair of thongs on, and it was absolutely boring. So the first thing, my, my thing was I, I saw the scarves that were being sold. So I picked the carton because it's blue and white, yep. nice colour. So I thought, oh, that'll match my jacket. <laughs> <laughs> but then when I got up on the field, and I was only allowed to tell one person, and when I saw the crowd, I actually rang my mum and went, oh, Mum, have you seen the crowd? She said, I'm sitting here with Arnie Loris and we've got our cups of tea and gone, and we're just waiting. <laughs> oh, my Lord. Can I go back a second? So you, you were from the yeah. US. You worked at the Crazy Horse here in Adelaide. Who yeah. drove you to the grand? I heard a story that your grandparents drove you to the grand final. Oh, goodness, no. My grandparents great part. Okay. A choreographer from where I was working. Okay. The uh, place where I was working was a replica of the London Crazy Horse. Yes, correct. Quite a flash, nice uh, place to be working. Correct. Still here in Adelaide now, still on Hindley Street, yeah. the, the Crazy Horse. So yeah. the logistics of that, you mentioned that you're cold. So you're wearing, So you had just the coat and your thongs and that was it? Yeah. And you walked into the MCG like that? Yeah. It was a nice coat. Oh, it was a lovely coat. I was just thinking, because I was wondering the logistics. Do you get changed somewhere and then walk back to your seat? But you were ready to go. So why did... I was ready to go. Why ready to go. Wow. Why did you decide at that point in the game to run on then? Or was it just a matter of, you know... Well, it was was actually quite a, um, a weird experience because 
I had to get up the front to be able to get close enough to get over the fence. Yep. So firstly, I rang my mum for a little bit of words and encouragement, <laughs> which um, my mum was just a lovely lady. She was like, you know, we're sitting here waiting for bonds and off you go. So I managed to um, tell a police officer I was sitting up front, so I needed to get up there. And they were quite happy to sit me in the front row. So I got a pamphlet, and I was reading this pamphlet, but I was saying to myself, I've got to do this. They're waiting. I'm, and I was a bit nervous. All of a sudden, I got up, got over the fence, and ran out into the field, but I hadn't actually done that yet. My, my mind had done it. It was like my first out-of-body do you know what I mean? Like yeah, I saw myself did it. And then all of a sudden I flipped over the fence, landed flat on my carpet <laughs> and got up and just ran. And it was all planned to a T, except what do I do when I get out into the middle of the field? Yeah. I'm out in the middle of the field running around with the scarf going, now <laughs> how do I get off? Now what do you do? Because that's the thing. You chased after Bruce Dool. Bruce yes. didn't know what to do. Wayne Johnson didn't oh, no. Wayne Johnson didn't like your presence. He was trying to get you off. I wondered oh, that because ropeable. the adrenaline would have Absolutely. been rushing through your body when you're in front of 107,000 people in the nude, 17 yeah. years of age, millions watching at home. And I wonder what your plan was once you got out there. What yeah, were you going to do? We didn't have one. <laughs> so I thought, all right, I'll try and get staff over one of players. Yep. And I headed for Bristol, seriously, because he did. He looked a lot like my father, and he was very, he just had that comforting. So I ran straight for him, but um, uh, was it um, Shane Johnson, was it? Wayne Johnson? Yeah, he had other ideas. So he he intercepted and grabbed me, and all I could think at that moment, if you see the footage, was please don't fall over. Yeah. You know, so because that just, was not the plan. <laughs> what happened when they took you off the ground? Did you get fined? Were you taken back to a police yeah, station? Yeah, well, they took me underground where they had a special bunker for people that are naughty. Okay. So they put me in there with my, my jacket on and let me watch the game. And Of course, the, most of the policemen stayed downstairs with me and we were chatting away. And Then I had to leave that afternoon and I got VIP back to where I was staying and I had to appear in court the next day. Wow. And the choreographer's mother woke us up. She couldn't speak a word of English. And there's like 15 reporters all on the front lawn. Yep. Like I had no idea it was going to be that huge. And as a child, I've always been a little bit of an attention seeker. So I didn't even think of that. And then when it did happen, it just happened so fast that it it just blew me away. I had to get VIP'd off the airport back in Adelaide to get back to where I was living. So I had to stay at a hotel room hiding out for two weeks. And then it just went crazy. And then it got to my head a little bit. Yep. And um, I'm a very down-to-earth natural kind of person. I don't um, – the only way I can say it is I'm not really up myself. Yeah. No, I get that. <laughs> but to go through that kind of publicity, you really have to be a little bit. And it actually got to my head. It, I started sort of thinking I was a little bit all that. Once that started, I was off. I, I sort of disappeared to Perth for a while and tried to let it die down a bit. But it followed me everywhere. My children saw it on a Just James ad at school. 
on home and said, Mum, we still your bum on the TV. <laughs> <laughs> I do want to talk about I do want to talk about the fallout if we can in a second. Can I just wind back one second because you said something? Yeah. So they let you watch the rest of the game. Oh yeah, downstairs. Yeah, I sat down and had a beer and you know, oh, had a chat. Lord. Thousand me very well. Thousand dollar fine, which was a lot of money back in nineteen. I mean, a lot of money now. It's a lot of money back in nineteen eighty two. Did the crazy mm. horse pay that fine, or did you have to pay that fine? No, that was supposed to. But because after a couple of weeks, I was so exhausted and they were yep. working and I was working so hard and I started getting a little bit sick. So I, um, I went to go to my brother's wedding for a little while and then I just it just got to my head. Yeah, it just sure. really did. And I just couldn't deal. I just couldn't do My name was now Miss VFL. There was yep. no Helen D'Amico left. So, yeah, so I disappeared and had a bit of a family and then every now and again they bring it up and... Yeah. I kind of think, well, why not? Well, I do want to talk about that because it is 40 years of this momentous occasion in VFL mm. football. And as I say, you, you're arguably the most famous streaker in the history, you and maybe the guy that Andrew Simons uh, barreled in the cricket. But so your life does become crazy after that. What was the plan? So that was the plan that you would go out and then what, the crazy horse would get some kind of publicity from it? or Because it all sort of fell yeah. on you, didn't it, towards yeah. or post-game? Yeah, yeah, and then it was all a, ca- a case of like we'll all work at the crazy horse and make heaps of money out of it. But yep. I was just the hours I was working was phenomenal. I was just working with Jeff, and I just couldn't do it. So I um I left and went to Perth for a little while, and and hopefully let it die down. And then I went to do my uni in Townsville. They found me there. Yep, they seemed to sort of chase me around a bit. But I was hoping the 40th anniversary was going to fall, you know, on a on a good opportunity, which it has because of the floods and yeah, and all that sort of thing. So um, keep your eye out because I shall be in Melbourne last year at the um, game final. Okay. Oh, this year. You just might see me in Melbourne a lot more oh, than people. Okay. Well, I was going <laughs> to I was going to ask that because you did. You kind of went into hiding, or you had some anonymity for for many many years there. We did see a couple of appearances. I remember you appeared on the Footy Show, and then we saw yeah. the commercial where you know yeah. they they reenacted <laughs> that too. Is that it, was the bomb? You, me- so cool. you mentioned your kids and the grandkids. Do they do they understand mums and grandmas' fifteen seconds of fame, or is it something that is not brought up now? No, no, they love it. They, they yeah, they seem a little bit more proud of it than I. Am. <laughs> they, yeah, and um, every now and again it pops up where we'll be at a party and someone will yep. in and then takes over the whole party <laughs> and everybody's talking about me and it. Yeah, so it does sometimes annoy me. It, it is getting a little bit I'm 57 now. So, yep. But, um, yeah, you shall see me around Melbourne wow. last week. Okay. And you're happy um, You're happy and you're healthy? You were telling me before we started the podcast that you, I mean, you're in the floods, uh, in the flood zone at the moment. Life's been difficult recently for you? Uh, yeah. Yeah, I lost everything, absolutely everything. Everything I owned. Just went floating down the river. It's actually quite emotional because it had really been very long since that happened. And yeah, at the moment we're just government being shuffled around every four days. We have to move to get accommodation because I have a dog. Yep. So yeah, it has been kind of hard. I've, I've managed my partner and I managed to get a car with a grant. So that's our first step. But yeah, we've just 
loved absolutely everything we owned. Wow. Everything. Photos, yeah, so none of them matter though, because they're all in my brain anyway. Yeah. So I am, um, I'm hoping to, well, I'm not hoping I am going to be in Melbourne for the, um, the last week in finals, to see. Yep. yeah, you just might never know what you'll see. Well, I hope you cash in, <laughs> Helen, because as I say, I mean, 82 for Carlton fans, you know, we love it from a football point of view, but in the grand scheme of pop culture, it's one of the most infamous moments in Australian sport ever, and that was you at 17 yeah, years of age. Oh, yeah. my God, I can't believe you walked into the MCG wearing nothing but a coat and a pair of thongs and then thought, <laughs> I'll, grab, I'll grab a blue and scarf on the way in. <laughs> so you weren't even a Carlton supporter. I will supporter. be there for the week of the grand final. Yep. If anyone's interested in um, having a chat or doing anything un- unusual, okay. um, yeah. if they want to contact you, get in touch, and you'd like to uh, work something out through me, we could um, done organise some other things while I'm down there if you like. I'll put them in touch. So you weren't even a Carlton supporter either. You just grabbed the first scarf you saw. Yeah, it was the prettiest. But if you're going to get realistic about it all, yep. okay, Richmond never won a grand final. Exactly. In a lot of years. Yeah. And then I beat the scarf and they won the next grand final. That's right. You're on the winners. So if, I can't, if I couldn't have made amends <laughs> any better. <laughs> Helen, thank you so much for speaking to me. It is a famous moment. It is an infamous moment. Really appreciate your time. Please take care, too, and I'm sorry to hear about all of the hardships you're going through oh, with the floods. Fine. Fine. Hope you can cash in a little bit um, and try and make some money. It's 40 years. I mean, can you believe that? Yeah. Four decades. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah, and I don't look much different except a little bit older. <laughs> and no regrets? You <laughs> certainly don't regret it as a 17-year-old? No, no. no. There, there are times when I sort of get a little bit sort of queasy when it's brought up or yep. but then I'm sure oh, you just you've got to laugh for it. What you, can do. Do? you do. You yeah. do. Yeah. Helen, thanks so much. Lovely to speak and take thanks care. All the very best. Helen D'Amico, my guest, the famous and infamous streaker in nineteen eighty two. That's enough to turn you off your football. Look at James, he doesn't know what to do. <laughs> I'm speechless. Oh, Johnson. I wouldn't like to uh, wonder what his wife would have to say about that. Well, she certainly uh, disrupted everything here at the moment after Carlton have hit the front by a point. <laughs> and that's to make... Uh, it's a tip that make any side lose their uh, concentration, Bob, wouldn't they? I wonder if I can have a word to our director, Ralph Potter. Could we see that in the replay, Alf? Crowd's still going. Crowd no one seems to be watching the match. Lou Richards, Bobby Skilton, and a kind of a Randy Peter Landy. What a memory that was, 1982. If you're someone who wants to get in touch with Helen, maybe you can help her and her family get back on their feet, please reach out. I'll put you in touch. Thanks again for listening. Hope you enjoyed the podcast. Please go back and listen to any of the old episodes that you might have missed. I'm sure you'll enjoy those. Please share the podcast with any Carlton family or friends or colleagues that you know. Good luck this weekend, baggers, against Port Adelaide. This town, Adelaide, where I live, is a lot easier to live in when we get the points against one of the local teams, so fingers crossed. Hope everyone has a safe and a happy Easter, and I'll see you next week, COVID permitting, for another bloody Carlton podcast.